All right, my friends, thanks for tuning into the podcast, where, as always, we'll discuss the professional literature and the evidence-based protocol as they relate to the effective treatment of clinically significant anxiety symptoms. I'm Chris Lines, licensed psychotherapist and OCD spectrum disorders treatment specialist, and this, well, this is OCD Straight Talk. Like, I, I feel like every uh, therapist can look back and and remember that one case, right? Or, or those cases that, um, that just fucking rocked them, right? That, that they were dreadfully difficult cases for them personally. Um, you know, and, and as they look back, they're just, they're grateful to God that, that those patients terminated and that those cases are over. But I think that, you know, you walk away from experiences like this, not just with wounds, but with lessons learned, right? And, and that the more experience you have as a therapist the the better you are at managing therapeutic processes right and i think that that's true for me that that as i look back and and there's cases that for me i'm just so glad are are over i walk away <laughs> with uh you know with an increased ability to to maintain faithfulness to the evidence-based protocol. And, uh, and I think that that's true regardless of, to a certain extent, right? I don't mean to say like I'm some machine, but to a certain extent, I think that I'm able to maintain, uh, you know, a, a faithfulness to the process regardless of, uh, you know, personality style or temperament, uh, regardless of uh, symptom severity or the complexity of of uh, comorbid conditions and and so on, uh, and I I think that as I look back, there's a couple of cases that stand out to me as very important moments in my development professionally. And I suppose I mean to clarify that I don't mean professional development as in like during graduate school. I mean after grad school, like a lot of um, clinical psychology or counseling psychology students. I was exposed to psychodynamic theory and emotion focused therapy. You know, I worked to develop my uh, empathic listening skills and to master the art of the cathartic interaction and you know all that shit like 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 anybody else i don't mean um like as a result of or through the process of graduate school i mean after grad school like when i got out into the field and and began really being meaningfully exposed to the evidence-based protocols and gathering clinical 
experiences and, you know, things like this. <coughs> I think there's a couple of cases that stand out that I, I really do carry with me, right? As I walk into the room and I meet with a patient, part of what walks into the room is, it's these lessons learned and these and these cases, these experiences, as I um, conceptualize the therapeutic process and my responsibility in it, I, I conceptualize that process through the lens in part of these experiences. <laughs> and I suppose that's true for everybody in one way or another. But part of what I mean is... these lessons shape the way I interact with patients, like moving forward permanently. And it's interesting because when I mention these patients, you might think, well, these must have been like dreadfully fucking hard. These must have been awful people or, or something like this. And in truth, no, they were pretty average patients. But they left a mark on me. And I forever remember them. In one of these cases was this guy. And uh, he had um, he had been suffering from what's uh, in the literature. It's, it's known as SO, OCD, or sexual orientation. OCD. Oftentimes it's verbally referred to as HOCD, the H standing for homosexual. And, um, and he had come in for therapy. And I think at that point in my, uh, my career, I'd never really sat in the room with, with, uh, I don't know how you say, like somebody who was somebody, um, you know, I, I and I had remember feeling intimidated, uh, by this person, I really, really wanted to do, like, I really wanted to do right. And I wanted uh, the, the case to, I wanted the person to walk away thinking, damn, that guy's a good therapist or, you know, well, you know yeah, that kind of thing. And we, uh, you know, we get into the, the therapeutic work and like I say, pretty average case. There's not a lot that stands out to me other than I remember the the symptom dimension. I remember, you know, some specifics about the individual personally. But uh, one of the things that I, I can recall is that like week after week, one of the themes of the case was this guy would prevent, pre present for, for therapy. And, you know, and he hadn't, he hadn't really done his, his homework. He hadn't really done any of the therapeutic tasks that we had talked about, you know, is a sort of um, attitude with which he would walk in and kind of, no, I, I'd do that. You know, and there was this um, almost implicit message that it's not my job to do that shit. It's your job to get me better. And at the time I was fairly naive. Um, I don't think I was terribly naive personally, although certainly to an extent I was, but I think that I was uh, ill-experienced and and so on professionally, and and I um, I think that I uh, acted the part 
in terms of, yeah, it's my, it's my job. It's my job. And so I would say like, oh, that's okay. That's all right. No, no big deal. And I would try and brush it off. Like that doesn't change anything that you didn't do your homework. That has no bearing on what we're doing here or trying to accomplish. It will have no effect down the road cumulatively on what you get out of this. You know, and on the face of that, looking back, it's like that's there, there's no sense in which that makes sense. Like none at all. You know, if I'm a physician and I prescribe some medication and my diagnosis is, is spot on and my prescription is damn right and everything's right, everything's good. Doesn't mean the patient's going to get better because if the patient doesn't take the prescription to the pharmacy and, and get the prescription filled and pay for the medicine and go home and take it as prescribed, like what the hell are we doing here then? Like the patient has his role, but there was a sense for me in which I was trying to brush that under the rug. Ah, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. No big deal. Bullshit. No big deal. So the patient wouldn't do his ritual monitoring sheets, wouldn't do his homework. So he had no idea what compulsions he was doing. So like fucking stop them. I don't even know what they are. Like, okay, this is going to work. But here I am. Oh yeah. Well, no problem. You know? Well, no surprise. The, cr the case crashes and burns, right? And the individual prematurely drops out of treatment and doesn't get better. And, And I, you know, maybe a, a, a couple of weeks or a month later, sort of look back and, and say to myself, that will never happen again. I'll never be intimidated by a patient because at the end of the day, it's not me that really lost out here, right? It's the patient and I failed him. And I thought to myself, that will never happen again. I will never do that either to myself or to a patient, more importantly, to a patient. I'll never do that again. And I, I, I learned my job at the end of the day is to adhere to the protocol, right? It may not be popular. It may not be desired. But at the end of the day, the one thing that I'm armed with the one thing that is strong and objective is the research. It is the evidence. It is the outcome data. And it's on my side. And I'm informed and I'm, and I'm trained and I'm somewhat experienced. And, and, and I just botch it. Oh, that's no problem. Oh, that's okay. You know, and, and I'm honest with you when I say there aren't a lot of days that go by where I don't wonder, how is he doing? Because I dropped the ball, man. I failed him. And I wonder, how's he doing? How's he doing? Whatever happened for him, this kind of thing. And I learned that lesson. That's one of the cases that that stands out to me as an important moment in my development as a clinician, that I will adhere to the protocol and I will demand that my patients adhere to the protocol. My job is to confront them gently, 
but it's to put pressure on them to do what they're supposed to do as it is dictated by the evidence-based protocol. And I learned, I have to be able to say, if you're not going to do the work, what are you planning to get out of this? Right. And, And maybe I don't say it exactly in those words. Maybe not. Although sometimes I'm sure I do. Perhaps sometimes it's a bit more explicit or, or aggressive. I don't mean to say unprofessional, but sometimes there's maybe a need to say, what the fuck are we doing here? If we're not going to do the work because at the end of the day, you're paying me for results, right? Right. So the way I'm going to be able to help you to facilitate genuine progress and to make the results that you're paying for is by way of this protocol. So that's why I'm asking you each week about this issue and, and that issue. The homework, was it completed? What is it? Was it completed to standard? What happened during the homework? Did you stop your compulsions? What, what compulsions did you identify throughout the course of the week? Any new ones? You know, these kinds of questions become very, very important in that week to week process. And there's a there's another case that that stands out to me. Uh, maybe this one didn't crash and burn in the same way, um, but it still stands out. This patient had, you know, she was really having a a really hard time uh, with, you know, with life and with work, and and OCD was just eating her lunch. Like it was just a really uh, difficult situation. And uh, if I'm honest, I don't. Um, necessarily remember the specifics symptomatologically of this case, but I remember that you know, she was just, she was just really having a hard time. And, uh, and she came in for what was called an IOP, IOP standing for intensive outpatient program. You know, IOP is like where a person doesn't uh, get seen once a week or in some cases twice a week, <laughs> but where a patient is seen twice a day. And you kind of think about an accordion, you know, where everything's jammed together. And that's really the idea of the IOP. We take, you know, 16, 18, 20 sessions. And rather than holding them over the course of a few months of time, we jam them into like 10 days um, or two weeks or something like this. And we'll do all of the therapeutic work, all of the exposures, all of the homework, all of the ritual monitoring sheets all of the other didactic teaching stuff, all of it gets jammed into two weeks. What happens in the research, the outcome data supports this, is that the person gets better a lot faster. So, okay, that, that's cool. So she did that. And and I remember, I, I, I don't want to say I dropped her, um, but, but she dropped her score from a 42 on the Y box 2, uh, which is really fucking high. I mean, that's, that's uh, 50 is the top. Like, it doesn't go higher than that. So 40 is, is, is in the, uh, the quote unquote extreme category. I don't care for the language myself, but, but, um, you know, I don't ever like to say your symptoms are extreme. That sounds kind of whatever, but anyway, that's what it was. So, so she was at a 42 and I think it was in like 10 days, uh, she dropped it to 12, which is, you know, that's comparatively different. Uh, and, um, yeah, and it's like two and a half points, three points from, from subclinical. And maybe you say, well, what the hell's that? That's just, uh, it's like where symptoms are present, but we'll call that, we'll like say it's obsessive compulsive features, just meaning it's not diagnosable as OCD any longer, 
right? So, you know, you kind of get the picture. You know, she went from from being extreme in her symptom severity down to almost not even diagnosable in 10 days. So pretty remarkable, right? And, you know, by that point, I'd done a lot of cases and, you know, been there, done that quite a bit and, 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 and very sort of rigid, you might say anal about the, the evidence-based process. And I'm not apologetic about that. At the end of the day, I get paid for results. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm all about, let's get you better. And this is how we're going to do that. Right. If you don't like it, I'm sure there's another, another therapist that will see you, but if you're going to see me, this is the way we're going to do it. Right. And, and whatever, maybe that sounds like, um, I don't know what that sounds like to you, but that's just what it is. That that's, that's how I was trained to do it. And it's worked well for me and my patients. So whatever. Anyway. So anyways, so, so 10 days and then, and so she's, she's like really thankful. And, um, and she says like, I don't know. She says something like, you know, you know, you're great or whatever it was that, you know, the, Hey, this was your, you're a great therapist or whatever it was. And, and I remember saying to her something to the effect of my success as your OCD therapist is not weighed by your most recent Y box score. And, and some people would say, well, of course it is. What are you talking about? You know, it's like I lost the 30 pounds in a month and a half with my exercise trainer. And, and then the exercise trainer says, well, you know, my success as your trainer isn't determined by what the scale says. Like, well, fuck, yeah, of course it is. What are you talking about? So you might say, well, of, of course it is, Chris. Well, I think not. And I do. I, I think not. And I, and I went on to say to her, <coughs> my success as your OCD therapist will be determined on your or by, forgive me, determined by your ability to maintain your progress over the course of time. So like a year from now, let's see how you're doing. If you're still subclinical six months from now, you're still sub subclinical nine months from now, 12 months from now, then I think we can have a conversation about you know, that I'm, that I'm a good therapist or whatever it is. And, and I, and I hold to that. I, I, I genuinely and deeply believe that at the end of the day, Attending psychotherapy for your OCD symptoms is not about getting better, right? And, and maybe I'll say sometimes to patients, it's not my job to treat your anxiety disorder, you know, and, and maybe get some, some head scratched and eyebrows raised and whoa, 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 what do you mean? You know, like, that's why I'm here. Well, okay, fair enough. And that's a byproduct. You know, if, if, we, if we adhere to the protocol and, and we're, you know, and we're, we're working hard and we're engaged in the therapeutic process and and we're, and we're identifying and stopping compulsions with discipline and consistency, then yeah, as a <coughs> byproduct, you're going to get better. I, I think there's little question of this and, and all the research, you know, the green lights all the way. Yep. 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 You're going to get better, but that's not why you go to therapy. And, you know, no, my, my job is not to treat your anxiety disorder. My job is to teach you skills, strategies, that are rooted in and based upon the outcome data, the, the professional literature, my job is to orient you to, to, to teach you, to equip you with, to help you to have the experiences practicing skills so that you can treat your anxiety disorder and so that you can maintain the progress that you make over the course of time. Like that's a completely different thing. 
You know, and maybe you say, well, not really. It's kind of, no, it's a completely different thing because if you're learning skills, not only are you realizing that your OCD is not happening to you, but you're happening to your OCD, right? Meaning you're complicit, you're participating in the process. And when you realize you can unplug the cord from the wall and you just haven't yet, well, then it's like, I have a lot more control here than I ever thought. And that is a game changer. That's a big deal. Right? So it's not my job to get you better. It's my job to teach you strategies so that you can get yourself better and so that you can stay that way. And I think that that's one of the things that I wish I had. I could go back and do that first case again that I, that I talked to you about. Because it's like, you know, we would have a, you know, a, an adult conversation about, no, it's, it's not my job to get you better. Let's clarify this, right? Let's clarify this, that you're responsible for where your symptoms are today. You are responsible because here's the reality of the situation. I can't hold responsibility for something over which I have no control. Right. I, I, I can't be responsible where I have no power. Right. And I have no power over your behavioral choices. I have no ability to stop compulsions for you. I have no uh, capacity to like do your homework on your behalf. Like that is patently obvious and silly when you think about it. Of course I can't. But if I have no ability to stop your compulsions, and if you've been listening to the podcast for any period of time, you're crystal clear by now, or you should be, that the entire symptomatological set fucking hinges on doing or stopping compulsions. Like the, even the evidence-based protocol is, is like named in honor of this truth exposure with response prevention, right? That, that we're just going to like keep doing the responses or the rituals or the compulsions or whatever we want to call them. You're going to keep doing them. Well, I'm just going to keep doing them. They feel good. I'm going to keep doing Okay. Well, then you're not going to get it. You're not going to get any progress. So anyways, I, I just wish that I could go back and say, I, I'm, hold on, let's clarify something here, right? It's not my job to make progress for you. I have no ability to do that. But the good news is you have all the power you need, all the power you need to make the choices required to get better, right? And there's nearly 60 years of research and outcome data that supports that statement that the treatment works, but you've got to work the treatment, right? So I, I've, I've talked to you about this a little while, right? The importance of going to psychotherapy, right? And the importance of, of going consistently and, and the importance of doing exposure therapy, right? And the importance of engaging your homework and the importance of looking for compulsions,
and the absolute importance of stopping them. It's cases like these that that shape clinicians. You know, we, you know, we 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 do cases. And you know, we learn. We learn important pieces and truths about the evidence-based process and the variables that comprise the people within that process. But at the end of the day, what I learned is that it's not my job to get you better because I can't. And maybe you say, well, that's a big weight off your shoulders. And it fucking is. Absolutely. Like, can you imagine carrying the weight on your shoulders that it's my job to get everybody who's on my caseload better? Like, that's... I don't know, that's a tremendous responsibility. But if it's shared, and it's like, well, my job is to teach you skills, strategies. My job is to to create opportunities for you to have experiences. My job is to be consistent and disciplined, not just informed by, but active in the evidence-based protocol. And your job is to engage the skills to make the changes with discipline in order to make progress. Well, now we're a team. Now we're a team. Let's work together to achieve the therapeutic goals that you have identified. Right? That's a completely different matter.